welcome to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ. That is right, the Dynasty Warzone's very own rookie rundown. We are continuing everyone's favorite summertime series with first year forecasting. And we have a great guest on this week's episode to help me cover the NFC South rookies. It is none other than Aaron Freeman from the Locked on Falcons. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, glad to be here talking some NFC South. Uh, spent a lot of time every day pretty much uh, talking Falcons. So uh, interested in sort of thinking about the Bucks and Saints and, and Panthers a little bit more than I usually do. Yeah, I'm going to force you to talk about the teams you despise, hopefully. Um, I already had the liberty of doing that in an uh, episode about two weeks ago. I'm a diehard Bears fan. I uh, grew up a little bit outside of Chicago in one of the suburbs. So uh, I know pain well. And honestly, when it comes to our teams, we have kind of a similar pathway going on right now, except you guys have significantly better weapons that we'll be talking about than my Bears. So you're moving towards the right direction. I think the coaching change helped you guys a little bit, but we're not starting with the Atlanta Falcons. We're going to be starting with the arch rivals right now, the team that no one really wants to continue winning unless you're a diehard Brady fan, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Just when he basically gave you the opportunity to hope that everyone in the division had been looking for since he joined it, he basically yanked the rug out from underneath your guys' feet in classic Brady fashion um, right after the draft, letting you know that he was coming back yet again for another year. Um, the benefit, I would say, is that the coaching structure has changed a little bit. Rather than Bruce Arians running the team, you now have a new head coach. OC is still the same, so the offense should be the same because Brady's there as well. But there's also been a lot of shakeup in regards to the passing options. You have Chris Godwin, who's coming back from a major injury. Decently late in the season as well. He was kind of banged up over the last couple of years. We haven't been able to see really true peak Chris Godwin on the Bucks. Um, but the team in general has 190 vacated targets, about 110 vacated carries on the ground as well. They've lost Ronald Jones. Gronk officially retired. We hope, for your sake, that he stays retired again. But they also lost O.J. Howard, who has been you know, kind of hit and miss with his own injuries. That's a common theme with the Bucks, honestly, as it is a lot of teams in the NFL. Um, but they brought in a lot of youth to replace the positions that they lost all of those carries, those targets in. In Rashad White out of Arizona State at the running back position, you have Kate Otten coming in, who, according to the Tampa Bay beat reporters, is kind of starting to light it up here in uh, the off-season practices, the off-season camps that we've seen, as well as another uh, tight end that probably won't make the roster because I didn't know who it was, Kofkeef Kife. I couldn't pronounce the last name if I tried. Um, but the team is very interesting. There should be a good consistency with the weapons that were there last year, but they also brought in Russell Gage to kind of fill in that slot role. So there's, once again, some explosive options for Brady at the helm. Um, what's your take with how the division's kind of been run by Tampa Bay, basically, since Brady come in. Do you feel like this year's a little bit different outlook-wise with all the teams where they're standing, or do you think Tampa Bay is still kind of the top dog to knock off the hill? Yeah, I think they're still the the overwhelming favorites in the division. I, You know, obviously last year they basically ran it back with the exact same roster that they won a Super Bowl with, and this year they will not be doing that. So the expectation is not going to be as high going into this season as it was a year ago. Uh, but, you know, they're still probably one of the 
better teams, more trustworthy teams to be good this year in the NFC. So they'll certainly still probably be in Super Bowl contention. They just may not look uh, quite as good doing it as they have done in recent years. And so, you know, I, I look at the the changes that they've made, you know, particularly at these skill position players, obviously very familiar with Russell Gage. I think he'll be a nice little asset for them, uh, particularly early in the season until Chris Godwin gets back healthy. Cause I understand that he's probably going to start the year on the pup list and, and potentially miss like the first, you know, half of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're going to need Russell Gage to kind of hit the ground running uh, for them to. Um, but I do think that could obviously lead to some complications as they sort of integrate uh, Gage and, and, and Tom Brady and whatnot. Um, and, you know, it's shocking to continue to see Cam Brate still going strong in, in Tampa Bay. It just seems like he's always there, kind of been lost in the shuffle these last couple of years at the tight end position uh, with Gronk and, and O.J. Howard there, but still going to go right back to what he was prior to their arrival, be the starter. I really like Kate Otten a lot at Washington, so mm-hmm. I, I like his potential to come in and be the difference maker for him. Similar to you, the other tight end, I, I don't even know who that person yeah, is. Exactly. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, I was always a big fan of Ronald Jones when he played. I always felt like he was good and just never got enough run these last couple of times. Every time I watched the Bucks, like he seemed to play well in those games. Um, so I, I did like Rashad White a little bit, but I, I do think that is a drop off. So I think the theme is the Bucks are still probably going to be good because their defense shouldn't suffer really any drop off. Uh, and that's really been kind of the strength of their roster in addition to Tom Brady, you know, finding all those, those great weapons. And so I think the concerns with them is going to be, is their offensive line going to be as good this season to keep Brady upright? If you can keep Brady upright, then, you know, he's going to be able to pick apart any defense with, you know, Mike Evans and Gage and, and, um, and and, uh, Godwin when he comes back. But uh, yeah, I think the Bucks are still going to be a talented team, but probably not, as sort of consistent and scary as they have been in, in previous years. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing we've seen with Bowles what his track record has been when he's been the head coach and the defensive coordinator, which seems to be the same kind of situation that they're getting into now with Tampa Bay. Granted their defense is pretty solid, um, but there are some question marks specifically with depth on the team that I don't think that they've had over the last two years with the Brady experience that I think may open up a window just because two years ago when they won the Super Bowl, they were the healthiest team in the NFL last year. That was not the case. They're rolling into this year with the same type of situation. And I think not having the depth specifically at the tight end position, which seems to typically be how Tom Brady offenses work. We thought it was just a Belichick thing, but it seems to still be the case even down here at Tampa Bay, that middle of the field slot options. It's just very intriguing to see how it's going to go. One guy on my radar, just because I'm a rookie fiend that you probably haven't heard very much of if you have, kudos, uh, Jared Stearns out of Western Kentucky, um, kind of a one-year wonder for them. Uh, He blew up on the scene. He was a transfer from an even smaller school than Western Kentucky, but he comes in in his one season playing big boy football in college, puts up a stat line of 150 receptions for 1,902 yards and 17 touchdowns. Um, He's a guy that I was kind of shocked that one undrafted, I assumed someone would be taking a flyer late in the draft on just because he's got average size. He's right around 5'10 and a half, 5'11, about 195 pounds, which is fine for a slot where he kind of projects. But he's a guy just kind of adding to that back end roster where I wouldn't be shocked if he were to make the team kind of like a Jalen Darden did for them last year. And then to get some more work down the road when some of these big name contracts have to move on, i.e. when Brady moves on, just to kind of keep your eye out and the division for it. 
But yeah, transitioning from that, I, I agree. Tampa Bay kind of is in the driver's seat, but another team that is very intriguing just because I think this could potentially be the biggest train wreck to happen in the division this year in classic fashion, I think, is the Saints. Um, finished second in the division last year. They were marred by injuries worse than pretty much anyone in the league outside of Baltimore was last year at every major position of note almost on the offensive side of the ball. But they're rolling in with... Kind of the same structure, but I would argue they're missing the largest piece of their offense over the last almost two decades in Sean Payton. Um, They still have Pete Carmichael as the OC, as he's been for the last 14 years since 2008. Um, But the offense in general last year was ranked 30th in passing percentage. They were one of the most run-heavy teams in the league, and that's something to consider when Alvin Kamara, looming suspension realistically coming for him and coming off an injured Injury mired season again last year for him. You have Jameis Winston at the quarterback position coming in, also coming off of a major injury. Um, you have questions at the kind of wide receiver position. It looks a, quite a bit better than it did last year, but the consistency that Jameis is going to be able to have with those options is always a question mark. Um, when he has a loaded core around him, he can look very good, but we had such a small sample size of him actually taking the reins and seeing the new Jameis that wasn't really sporadic and pushing the ball deep downfield that it's still kind of question marks in that aspect. Um, Skill position losses, they didn't really lose anyone of note. The Trevor Simeons, the little Jordan Humphreys, who was a pretty big red zone package guy for them. Um, They brought in a, a very competent backup in Andy Dalton that I know well from the Chicago Bears, as well as Jarvis Landry, which was the prized egg, in my opinion, of the wide receiver market this offseason when it came to bang for buck that you were going to get. They also brought in, uh, you may not know this if you're not accustomed to my work here, Aaron, but uh, my favorite wide receiver, um, Chris Olave. Uh, He is extremely smooth and just fits everything that the offense kind of needed from a deep speed standpoint and a larger smooth slot wide receiver. So overall the weapons are there, but there's just a lot of question marks as to how everything's going to match together, whether or not they're actually going to have the depth to support an injury or a suspension of Alvin Kamara and to really see if Michael Thomas even comes back into any relevancy, having not played basically in two calendar years. So what's your take on where the saints are at do you feel confident in your matchup specifically on like the offensive and defensive line side because they lost their stalwart left tackle in teron armstead as well this offseason so there's just a lot of question marks like i was saying what's your take yeah i mean the saints are an interesting team right you know specifically when it comes to the saints versus falcons they've consistently beaten us the last couple of years largely due to their ability to control the line of scrimmage so getting to the point that you made and you you wonder you know how big a blow is going to be losing Teron Armstead uh to fixing that but you know for the most part they've retained most of their other pieces on that so I'm not super optimistic at this point in time (laughs) if if history kind of continues to go down that path that the Falcons have sort of closed the gap on that but like the Saints had an interesting offseason because like I think you kind of touched on this that, you know, if Sean Payton was still here, like, I think you would feel a lot better about their situation, that they're essentially doing what we just talked about with the Bucks doing a year ago, kind of running it back with the same team, except for now they have kind of throw Jarvis Landry into the into the mix and, and Chris Olave into the mix. And, and that's very intriguing with the success that Sean Payton has had, you know, and the consistency he's had. Uh, but you kind of take him out of the equation and you sort of wonder, do you have that sort of foundation? Do you have that high floor that you, you kind of knew the Saints would be 
good. You don't know how good they would be um, with Sean Payton, but you you kind of knew that, like, yeah, they'll, they'll probably wind up winning nine or ten games, and, and maybe they could be better than that. But you you kind of knew their foundation, uh, their floor was going to be reasonably high and certainly in the playoff mix. Uh, but now you don't – you throw that out. And as you said, it, like, they could be really good, and Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael and all these additions – uh, with the weapons that they have could compensate for the loss of Alvin Kamara for the first six or so games, or it could all come crashing down for them. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden they're struggling to win six games because Jameis plays like old Jameis and throwing, you know, 25, 30 interceptions this year. The running game doesn't work. You know, their offensive line is taking a big step back. Uh, you know, you expect the defense to still be good. It's been consistently good. So I think that's the thing that they're going to hold their hat on, that even if their offense is a little wonky, a little inconsistent, that they should be able to keep uh, themselves in most games because their defense is going to play well. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the Saints have a lot of question marks. They are kind of this boom-bust team. And obviously, as as a Falcon fan, I'm I'm hoping for them to bust. But I don't know if it's just getting so used to Sean Payton being there that, you know, I just automatically say, well, yeah, they'll probably be fine. But, you know, maybe that's an assumption that I shouldn't be making anymore now that now that he's gone. Yeah, I think that's definitely my biggest question is you would like to assume that if you're in the same position and same role underneath the same boss for the better part of a decade and a half, that you would pick up on tendencies, you would basically become a light version of that person, if you will. And that's what we can hope if you want the Saints to be a successful franchise underneath the new tutelage and new head coach um, that Pete Carmichael can kind of do what Sean Payton has done, but that's asking a lot for one of the best offensive minds that we've seen in the game in the last 25 years. So it's just one of those things where it's very difficult to kind of project what they're going to do. I, from an outside standpoint, not a lot invested in this division. I have a strong feeling that you are going to have to deal with, uh, Brandon Cooks that actually sticks on the same team for a prolonged amount of time with Chris Olave, which may not be great to deal with as a Falcons fan. Um, but I think it's going to be very interesting, the matchups, because as you said, they've dominated the line, and that was one of the biggest things that I brought up. But you've got some young guys that are coming in in your rookie class that I'm very optimistic for on the defensive side of the ball for finally giving you the edge pressure. Uh, presence that you guys have been looking for basically since I don't know a little bit before Tack McKinley so we're looking at maybe six or seven years ago before we had like a truly good pass rush for you guys that Super Bowl run um, so I, I think that they are going to be leaning towards the bus side I don't have a lot of confidence in this specifically at running back like I was saying for them and on the offensive edges right now um, they're also kind of an old team um, they brought in a little bit of youth now but they're kind of trying to do what Tampa Bay did a couple years ago right now, just without the Hall of Famer at quarterback. So that's where I'm at with the Saints. I'm glad we're kind of on the same page for that. And at the running back position, the UDFA of note that I am paying attention to, um, I, I have a tendency to lean towards if you have a immaculate extreme boom blow up year at some point in college, you probably are on my radar, even if you didn't have prolonged success. And that's, the same thing with Jarrett Stearns is Mr. Abram Smith out of Baylor had one of the best seasons out of the big 12 at the running back position that have happened in quite a few years. Um, basically matched everything that Brees Hall did with Iowa state at Baylor 
The only thing is people don't really like him and the NFL didn't really like him because he was a one-year convert from the linebacker position. Uh, But he put up 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, another 400 receiving. So he's a guy that could immediately slide into that backup role. Um, If Alvin Kamara does end up getting a, you know, significant suspension, something other than one to two games, something like six, um, he's a guy that could see regular run because um, I'm sure you saw in the games against them last year, Tony Jones Jr. Isn't the answer for them at the running back position. He was one of the most least efficient running backs when it came to carrying the ball. Mark Ingram is significantly past his prime. He can block well and still be the outlet in the red zone, but he's going to get you probably two and a half to three yards of carry. So they're looking for a guy. And if it's not Alvin Kamara, that's your in as a Falcons fan for a successful season against the saints. Going on to your team, though, they are up next. They were third in the division last year in classic fashion. Again, I like to mirror the Bears and Falcons because when it comes to hurt, I feel like we're in the same boat usually. And when it comes to records, we usually end up winning quite a few more games than we want to or thought we were going to going into the season. Um, That was kind of the case with Atlanta last year. There was a lot of question marks on the defensive side of the ball. You had a couple of guys truly step up. Unfortunately, one of those guys is now in Jacksonville. So there's quite a few questions on both sides of the ball as to how some of the younger players are going to fit in for you and how some of the older players are going to continue their success or truly, you know, kind of make their stamp on the team, um, specifically at the cornerback position. So I'm looking at the Falcons. You still have Arthur Smith after last year. I would call it a successful offense. There was a lot of very nice pieces that were fit into your offense for me. And you got to see the Basically, the scheme prop up a guy in Cordero Patterson as the skill RB position that no one's been able to do in his entire career. So I'm just going to push it over to you. I'm not going to go into all the stats and all the fun stuff. Where are you at with your team? What What are you excited for? What are you concerned for? Are you happy about the people that were shipped off? Are you sad? Where are you at, Aaron? Um, you know, I think people that listen to Locked on Falcons know I haven't been necessarily thrilled where the, the Falcons are. I think they're, they're making progress. It's probably not as quick as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my biggest concerns are on the offensive side of the ball, and, and most of them center on the offensive line, um, where that was a real problem for them last year, and I think held back their offense in a lot of ways with the style of offense that Arthur Smith wants to play, which is, uh, you know, more of that ground and pound offense. And it's a little frustrating to see the team not really make any major additions there to try to address that issue, but they've changed all the other pieces kind of around that group. And so hopefully it will lead to, you know, Arthur Smith having more of his style uh, of team and, and kind of building, I guess you, you could turn say it, it Titans light version. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's got Marcus Mariota, which may not be quite as good as Ryan Tannehill, at least based off of the last year. Uh, that they both were there. Uh, you know, Tyler Algier is probably not going to live in up to the Derrick Henry shoes, but I think the Falcons are very excited and optimistic about what he can do and be more of that grinder in between the tackles that they wanted Mike Davis to be last year, and he didn't quite live up to those expectations. Um, they've revamped their wide receiver core, um, which, you know, used to be the strength of the Falcons for the better part of the last decade with Julio Jones and you know, Roddy White and Calvin Ridley and, and others. Uh, and, you know, they got a whole bunch of new faces with Drake London and, and Brian Edwards and, and some of those guys. And, you know, I think they've made strides. They got some young, talented, big wide receivers that are kind of similar to what Arthur Smith had in Tennessee with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Um, so, you know, and obviously they have Kyle Pitts, who's kind of going to be the, the centerpiece and the focus and, 
and the alpha for their their offense moving forward. And, you know, he had a, a great rookie season. And one of the things we talk about on Lockdown Falcons quite a bit is like even as historic a rookie season he's had, which was the most productive year for a rookie tight end since Mike Ditka in the, I think the 50s or 60s, mm-hmm. um, you know, it still feels like there's a lot more potential for him this year. And I'm looking forward uh, to seeing if, you know, he can deliver on that and if the rest of the offense kind of works uh, to deliver on that. So I think this team, you know, when things are clicking for them, you know, I think this offense can be potent and, and be intriguing. Uh, my concern is the, you know, sort of the foundation of your offense in a lot of ways is that offensive line. And, you know, I, I'm not as keen that, you know, I think you're going to see some wild swings. You're going to be see a couple of games where the Falcons are clicking and, you know, scoring 30 points. And then you're going to see some games where they really struggle to score 10 points because their offensive line uh, just cannot hold up against some of these better pass rushes. But um, I, I have some optimism that they will, um, be better as a team this year, although I don't know if their record will reflect that. Like they might take a step back from a record standpoint just because they're facing a much harder schedule than they were facing a year ago. Uh, but hopefully they'll be a better team for it. And, you know, that's part of the, the process that they're, they're basically rebuilding. They're going to have a whole bunch of cap space next offseason. So hopefully they'll be able to plug, particularly that off, those offensive line holes that they may have and may show this year. Um, and then, of course, we're still going to be worried about the long-term answer at the quarterback position uh, moving off of, of Matt Ryan after 14 years. And is Desmond Ritter the guy? I, I don't think Marcus Mariota's guy. I think he's just kind of a bridge to, to get you through this year uh, or maybe even only get you through half of this year before you may potentially turn the keys to Desmond Ritter and see what he has to kick his tires. Uh, if you're you know not great this year, you might be in a position to take quarterback high. So um, it's still going to be a, a big topic of discussion this fall in terms of who is the answer at the Falcons quarterback position? And that's going to be, you know, sort of the thing that, um, you know, lingers throughout this year and, and, and until they find their guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's reasons to be more optimistic that things will look a little bit better this year now that Arthur Smith has more of his style of players. Yeah. It, and by the numbers, the team was a little bit weird last year because with an Arthur Smith run offense, you would assume that you would have a very high run rate and being fed off the play play action. But that's not really what you guys were last year. You were eighth in passing percentage at 61% pass versus run last year, which is not what you assume. Um, a lot of that had to do with the dump downs and the offensive line, like you were saying. But there's a lot of open options and the offensive side of the ball you guys had 287 vacated targets 215 vacated carries a lot of offensive snaps and a whole new quarterback situation like you were saying so from my opinion there's no reason why you don't thrust Desmond Ritter in there as soon as humanly possible unless Marcus Mariota shows you something throughout training camp the preseason and the first one to two games that says he's our guy, we need to let him run with it, or unless the team is 100% behind him. Because, as you said, worst-case scenario, Desmond Ritter completely flames out, looks absolutely atrocious, and then you're drafting what should be a better quarterback early next year or trading for a Kirk Cousins, someone that can bridge again for you guys until another quarterback comes in. I know if you guys could see his expression right now, he's not happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're looking at the team, uh, Desmond Ritter for me was very intriguing in this quarterback class, just from a consistency standpoint and the athletic tools. But 
I don't think that there was a better guy that could potentially mentor him in ways not to handle your first take at a quarterback position than a Marcus Mariota. They have very similar profiles, very athletic, tall guys that are accurate, short to intermediate, but they always have the hesitancy to actually chuck the ball down deep, which is my biggest concern for this offense. When, as you noted earlier, you got some skyscrapers outside and I'm very excited for them bringing in some other receiving options, even Mr. Brian Edwards, because now you have basically a basketball team out there at wide receiver. If you're including Kyle's Pitts in a wide receiver role, which basically you should with how this offense is going to roll. So it's very intriguing to see how this is going to go. Um, I think Cordero Patterson is not going to get as much carry as he did last year. I think that would be a mistake. I think you need to continue to use him in the passing game because that was when you were breaking people's backs over the middle, it was by passing the ball to Cordero Patterson because as a Bears fan, I've seen what he can do with the ball in his hand running. Cool, he's going to get you four yards. It looks flashy occasionally because he can do that kick return stuff. But where he's really going to hurt you is where you don't man block him within a yard off the line of scrimmage. And he's just going to gut you for 15 yards just constantly on those little dump offs. And that's what we saw last year. And that's why he was so successful. So I'm pulling for Algier. Um, I think he could easily outpace what Mike Davis did. He had what, about 700 yards? Does that sound right for Mike Davis last year? Somewhere in there. I, I don't understand why he can't outpace that if he's given a consistent role or just the same role that Mike Davis was given last year. Um, he's a little bit more explosive. Is he the same pass protector? That's where the questions kind of come into. Um, but I think you're getting a much more physical runner in a guy like Algier than what you got from Davis because Davis's time in Chicago, again, for me, Again, this pipeline between Atlanta and Chicago has kind of been there the last couple Ryan, of years. Ryan Pace has taken, you know, his his uh, powers to down to Atlanta and is basically yeah, bringing all his old Bears guys. I didn't want to bring it up, but I I don't know what you guys are doing down there, letting him make all of these decisions when it comes to personnel because he's very good at the draft. I'll give him that. He's good at finding gems in the mid to late rounds. But when it comes to player acquisition, free agency, that's been his biggest hiccup since he's taken over a GM role. But power to you guys. I'm praying for you guys that you can make it out of there. But let's transition a little bit to the defensive side. Um, So I really like two out of the three players that you guys brought in to fill some pretty major holes on your guys' defensive line and at the linebacker position. So you brought in Arnold Epichetti out of Penn State, who was one of my favorite edge prospects in the entire draft. I feel like you got him at a steal behind quite a few people that I would have probably taken him ahead of. Um, you then circle back, I believe in the fourth, wasn't it, for D'Angelo Malone, where yeah. you're getting another huge edge. Both of them extremely explosive, extremely athletic edges, kind of in that Tack McKinley mold that you guys have been trying to search for on the defensive side of the ball. I think that if used appropriately in the system that took quite a few leaps last year on the defensive side of the ball, it could be very successful for you. Do you have hope for one of the two higher than the other one? Are you optimistic or do you think that there's just kind of going to be in a rotational role first year based off of the players that you brought in in free agency and who you're retaining from last year? Yeah, I'm actually very, uh, optimistic and excited to see what Arnold Epichetti can do. I, I really liked him once I went back. I didn't watch that much of him before the draft, but obviously mm-hmm. after the draft, I went and did a deep dive on him and I came away very impressed with him. And, you know, you, you talk about the Falcons looking for pass rush since Zach McKinley has been longer than that, you know, mm-hmm. Falcon fans or, you know, we, we missed John Abraham who left the team in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been looking, you know, basically for a decade to find his replacement. And I feel like Epichetti, you know, 
and you know he's not the first person to get these expectations coming to Atlanta. We'll see how he handles it, but you know I, I feel like he's the first legit guy that they've drafted uh, since uh, John Abraham departed. That really has a, a good chance of living up to that. Uh, you know, as much as I like Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley when we picked them up, I didn't see that type of potential in those guys at that time. Uh, so we'll see if Ebiketti can deliver on that. I think D'Angelo Malone's a nice sort of developmental piece. I think primarily this year. He'll probably play a lot more special teams and then be a, a major part of their pass rush rotation. I do think the plan moving forward is uh, to have Ebiketti and Lorenzo Carter, who won their free agent pickups, and as uh, well, Ade Ogundeji, who the team uh, really liked last year. He wasn't particularly productive, but they're expecting big things from him, or bigger things, I should say, uh, in year two. So I think that will be the bulk of their pass rush rotation. The, the main thing I'm looking for right now is a little bit more interior help for Grady Jarrett. Uh, right now, they just don't really have another option. Marlon Davidson, uh, who was their second round pick a couple of years ago, has just not lived up to expectations. I think he has like four career pressures in two seasons in Atlanta. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, Ryan Pace can do some magic. We were hoping for Akeem Hicks. Now it's kind of like, okay, let's get the other former Bears defensive lineman that's out there mm-hmm. in free agency and Eddie Goldman, and maybe we can sign him before training camp. And that will be sort of a, a nice little additional piece. I know Goldman wasn't great those last t- couple of years in Chicago, but frankly, the Falcons, you know, I always say on the podcast, beggars can't be choosers. And at this point, mm-hmm. we need as much help as we can get on a defensive line. So we'll even take, if if, if you think Eddie Goldman is washed, we'll take him because he's probably better than our, our alternative options moving forward. So that's yeah. what I see on the front. And I think that would be a very good pickup for you. Um, I think it was more of a off the field relationship type of situation that made them basically cut him this season. Um, I mean, they paid him. Uh, They were wanting to stick him in the center of our defensive line and let him eat. And he was very explosive in the packages that he was used in the 2018, 2019 and 2020 seasons. Uh, And then as soon as COVID hit, things got weird with him and it was more of a breakdown with the actual club. So if he could come in, has a good relationship with Ryan Pace, I don't know if that's the case or not, because Pace obviously wasn't there for the decision of cutting him. Uh, It could be a very good fit for you. I agree that the interior is is of extreme importance, particularly in the run game, is how I would classify it for you guys going into this year. And that kind of transitions into... I mean, on the stat sheet side, the biggest hole on your entire team right now outside of Matt Ryan is probably an insider linebacker uh, where you lost Luicon. Um, he was the league-leading tackler last year with 192. And any time, you can call it counting stats if you want to. He may not have been the most explosive player on the field at any given time for you, but anyone who sniffs around the 200 tackle mark is doing things that you don't really understand as an average viewer is how I would put it on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so when I'm looking at your guys' defensive team, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the middle has typically been the strength over the last couple of years for you with the hybrid linebacker safety role that you've had. The main issues that you've had have been on the outside, on the cornerback position. Last year was the first time where I felt like there was some steps forward at all positions all at the same time. And then you lost kind of a linchpin at middle linebacker for me. Um, how important was Aluakone to your defense, uh, particularly in the run game is where I saw the most flashes from him. And he was just not very fast, He, which is saying something as a converted safety for you guys' team. But he was extremely instinctive from the tape that I saw to where he was kind of always in the right place at the right time. 
he didn't always catch the people that were faster than him. But uh, if he did get his hands on players, he was very consistent at bringing them down. So that's the type of player for me when I'm looking at my defense for the Bears. Um, I feel good when I had a player like Danny Trevathan who was able to make those tackles when it mattered. Um, do you think it's a big hole? Do you feel confident in Troy Anderson coming in as a rookie, replacing him right off the bat when they play different games? Where are you at with a linebacker position on the team? Yeah, I think uh, Aluakun uh, is is a big loss. Uh, he was very solid for the Falcons. He got better as the season wore on, sort of adjusting to the, a, a different style of defense under Dean Pease than what they mm-hmm. played in uh, under Dan Quinn. But I thought as the season wore on, he got better. Obviously, you know, the Falcons weren't going to be able to match the contract that he got in Jacksonville. And what's interesting about the linebacker position is the expectation is that Deion Jones is also going to be out the door yeah. at some point this summer. Uh, that they will either cut or trade him if they can find somebody that's willing to take on his contract and that they will move on from him at some point between now and I guess the trade deadline. Uh, And, you know, some have been speculating myself included that that will happen, you know, either before training camp kicks off in in late July or, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, they're just kind of waiting, hoping that maybe uh, a trade package develops where, you know, maybe there's an injury or something like that in training camp. So they're going to have basically in all likelihood when we get to week one, two brand new starters uh, at that spot. And, you know, it's going to probably be a competition between Rashawn Evans, Troy Anderson, Nick Kwiatkowski, who you're familiar with from his Bears days, Michael Walker. Um, And so, you know, it's not looking great at the linebacker position, but I think they're going to have players that are going to do a little bit better job than what we've seen in recent years. Like the the knock on Deion Jones, as good as he's been in coverage and his range and his speed, he's not very good against the run. He's, you know, and when it comes to those responsibilities, I think the players that they brought in are going to be better at that. They may take a slight step back in terms of coverage, but I think Troy Anderson has a lot of potential there. Michael Walker has been, you know, very valuable to them in coverage. Um, So they have the assets that I think they can eventually fill those shoes. It's going to be a question of whether or not those guys are going to get on the field right away. I kind of went into uh, the summer expecting Troy Anderson to be more of a special teams guy. Dean Pease, uh, the Falcons defensive coordinator, wasn't too keen on playing rookies last year all that much unless he had to due to injuries, um, which was the case at cornerback and in, at edge rusher, uh, but wasn't really the case elsewhere. Uh, and so my expectation is that trend would continue in Troy Anderson, but the early buzz has been that Troy Anderson's been getting some of the first team reps and, and it will be a legit competition and he may wind up winning that. So I'm eager to see sort of what he is, um, you know, at that linebacker position. So it's going to be a shuffle. There may be some ups and downs, but I, I think all in all, the Falcons are moving in the right direction, even if it may not necessarily show up immediately in week one. Yeah. Troy Anderson is interesting for me. There. <sighs> I play a lot of IDP when it comes to the fantasy side of things, which is where my kind of bread and butter is. So Troy Anderson is very explosive for being a 250-plus linebacker running basically a four-four flat. It's very nice. Um, but he lacks finesse and lacks technique is how I would describe it because he has a tendency just to throw his body around, which you can get away with when you're basically a missile just launching at people. Um, But in run support, like you were saying, I feel like you're getting another coverage linebacker, which is nice. It may be a eventual replacement for Deion Lewis for you. But when you're looking at the run game, that's, that's still my biggest concern. So I'm, I'm pulling for you. I'm hoping that the middle of the middle of the line and the middle of the linebacking core can get a little bit better, a little bit more consistent overall. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my biggest concern on the defensive side of the ball. How do you feel about the cornerback position after uh, kind of some 
late bloomers starting to hit for you. Yeah, I, I think the cornerback position is arguably you can make the, the case it's the strongest position on the team's roster with the addition of Casey Hayward, who's been mm-hmm. a steady uh, veteran these last couple of years. Uh, and, and that was a big problem for the Falcons last year because A.J. Terrell was so good that basically teams just didn't throw to his side of the field, right? You know, he's not this sort of shadow corner matching up against opposing teams, number one, although he did that in one game against Stephon Diggs. Buffalo late in the season did a pretty good job uh, that week. But, you know, it basically his side of the field, the left side of the defense is kind of like a no-fly zone uh, just because teams were so uh, afraid of him. And the guy they had opposite him, Fabian Moreau, did a decent job last year. I thought he was solid considering that the Falcons basically paid him no money. Uh, he uh-huh. was basically making the veteran minimum. And I thought he gave you good bang for your buck, but because of how frequently teams were avoiding AJ Terrell, he got picked on a lot. And so he gave up a lot of touchdowns. And I think Casey Hayward can help, you know, mitigate that. And he's going to be a guy that can make teams pay if they do try to attack them to the same rate. Isaiah Oliver was really good. Uh, you, you talk about late bloomers. I'm assuming you're referring to Oliver who uh-huh. kind of was a second round bust. Uh, for the Falcons when they basically drafted him to be their Michael Thomas and Mike Evans, you know, size eraser at the cornerback position. He didn't live up to that. He really struggled against speed. Anytime he faced a fast receiver, he would just get burned. And they moved him to nickel cornerback a, a couple of years ago and, and where, you know, deep speed is not as much an issue and he's been much better and he's slowly grown. Unfortunately, he got hurt uh, four weeks into last season, but he was playing lights out. Uh, for that first month of the season. And if he can pick up where he left off, I really do feel strongly about the three corners that the Falcons have uh, heading into the season. The concern right now to me is the depth. What happens if, you know, you lose one of those guys again uh, to an injury, and that's going to be one of the things I'm going to be paying close, close attention to this summer in training camp to see if any of these sort of young, unproven corners like D. Alford from the CFL, Darren Hall was a fourth-round pick last year, a couple of other sort of practice squad guys, if any of those guys can emerge as viable options behind those guys. But I really like the cornerback group for the Falcons defense, and I really feel like that's going to be the strength of their team and can you know really help, I won't say mitigate some of the other issues that they have elsewhere on the roster, but at least when we're going up against teams like New Orleans and Tampa Bay, we won't feel like it's a massive mismatch um you know with their receivers going up against our trio of cornerbacks this year yeah and it makes a big difference this is i'm right there with you this is the first year in a while where i felt like the defensive matchups on the outside and deep for you are actually pretty advantageous due to the quarterback receiver pairings for all the teams in the division there's question marks across the entire board outside of tom brady and tampa bay so it's a good feeling uh, as a fan of the game. And for, <laughs> I don't, don't particularly like dynasties in the NFL. <laughs> I enjoy when there's a lot more, you know, mix-ups every year. So I'm looking forward to see the matchups. Um, specifically, I think there's one team that everyone in the division will be kind of kicking down into the gutters. And that is the Carolina Panthers. Uh, last year, they ended the season at the bottom of the division. And I see the exact same situation happening again this year, considering the fact that we still aren't positive who the quarterback is going to be for them. And the fact that Cam Newton had a revitalization basically for a couple of games before flaming out once again, last year for the team that kind of kicked him out the door. Um, It's interesting to see what's going to happen with Carolina. Uh, For some reason, I think they, are just trying to go left when everyone else goes right because they brought in Ben McAdoo, who hasn't had any success really in the NFL as a true coordinator on the offensive side of the ball. 
um, to where he's been able to stick around. Uh, the Giants offense wasn't particularly good when he got the kick and go around as the head coach and offensive coordinator there. And he's coming into a team that ranked right in the middle on run pass ratio that fully backs itself on the back of Christian McCaffrey. Um, the receiving options are palpable, uh, like, you know, palatable for the team. Um, they're hoping that last year's rookie second round pick in Terrace Marshall Jr. is able to kind of take a leap forward for them, but the offense is very suspect. So this is a good matchup for your Falcons. Um, the team overall didn't really bring in a lot of rookies of note other than a quarterback to potentially replace Sam Darnold if they decide to not go a different direction, a la a Baker Mayfield with a trade or something like that in Matt Corral. Um, but the team overall is pretty much the exact same as what it was last year. There was only 80 vacated targets. They brought in Rashad Higgins, who is, in my opinion, probably the most underrated wide receiver in the league. I've been clamoring for teams to sign him rather than the Browns because I feel like they underutilize him on a regular basis. Um, but where Carolina is scary is their defense. They kind of fell apart last year down the stretch due to injuries. But through the first, I don't know, maybe 10 weeks, would you agree somewhere in that range? They were probably one of the most dominant units in the league, and that has to do with a very suspect part of your team, as you brought up, the offensive line and defensive line matchups with their studs on the edge and uh, outside linebackers specifically. Um, so where are you at with Carolina? Uh, do they scare you during matchups at any particular time, or are you feeling pretty confident going into this season, at least with one of the matchups in the division? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, to answer your question, they don't scare me, mostly because <laughs> they don't have a good quarterback and they have a bad offensive line. Um, yeah. And those are the – rarely do the Falcons get advantageous situations when it comes to opposing teams' offensive lines with mm-hmm. their, their anemic pass rush. And Carolina is one of the few teams that our pass rush does not look terrible uh, against in, in previous years. So I, I think you, you broke it down pretty well with Carolina. Like their strength is their defense. Um, you know, obviously they're betting on, you know, getting significantly better quarterback play than they have gotten in recent years, which I don't see any reason to be optimistic that that will be the case. They have revamped their offensive line. I think they're expected to have like four new starters mm-hmm. so that stops the bleeding up, up front there. And maybe you get a healthy Christian McCaffrey. And if you can, if all that goes according to plan and Sam Darnold isn't Sam Darnold, uh, you know, is good Sam Dunn, which we haven't really seen for like three years other than like the three, you know, start that they had last year. And even then, like I remember when they, they were with, they got off to that three and no start. I was like, oh, it's not because Sam Darnold's playing well. It's just mostly because he's not making mistakes and their defense is playing well more so than that. So I guess that's what they're hoping. You know, Christian McCaffrey just hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey. And that means Sam Darnold's like a throw a pick. Um, and if he's able to do that, you know, he's not getting sacked either. And the same thing goes for Matt Corral, who I, I was not very high on in this draft process out of the, you know, the six quarterbacks that most people were talking about. He was sort of my least favorite. Uh, but, you know, as I say, beggars can't be choosers, and Carolina <laughs> needs somebody uh, to challenge Sam Darnold. And they they figured Matt Corral was the best option. I I can't blame them at, at, given uh, the circumstances they had. So, um, you know, I, I feel like Carolina can be competitive. They've shown that time and time again, but I just don't know if they have what it takes, uh, particularly at the quarterback position, to really you know take care of business and, and win some of these games. If you need, um, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game. Like I, I have confidence and 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 belief that their defense can get stops in those situations, but I have no confidence that if they need to go down the field and uh, and score points to to win a game or kick a game winning field goal, 
that, you know, they have the playmakers, you know, DJ Moore is very good. I'm a big fan of Robbie Anderson, although he, he fell off a cliff last year oh. after 2020. Uh, but I just don't feel like they have the reliable weapons there on the offensive side of the ball to be able to do that. So, um, you know, I expect the Falcons and Panthers to be duking it out for third place. But, um, you know, hopefully the Saints will take a bigger step back than I'm expecting and, and sort of maybe the Falcons can uh, leapfrog them and get in second place this year. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I, I think you pegged it perfectly there to where when they need to score points and it can't come through Christian McCaffrey, can they do it? And that's been the question with them for quite a while. It was on the backs of Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton. They were pretty much the only two that were scoring points when they were matched up. Um, my benchmark is when I see DJ Moore score more than three touchdowns in a season, that is when I know that the offense is starting to actually click because for some reason, every head coach since DJ Moore has been drafted there has been incapable of truly dialing him up in the red zone or getting him deep looks, or th- there's just something that's not clicking basically from the wide receiver options. So then, yes, he's great. He'll always get you 1,200 yards, great in between the 20s, but he just doesn't score you points. And when you have a true guy that a lot of people consider to be an alpha wide receiver one on the team, you need him to kind of show out when it matters. And that's unfortunately not what we've seen from DJ Moore. Um, I'm right there with you with Aubrey Anderson. I think he's severely underrated. Um, Last year was a weird year for a lot of wide receivers for some reason. And he's kind of the poster child for that one. Um, A guy that I think, um, at least from the UDFAs, that has a chance to kind of come in and do a lot of what Robbie Anderson does um, potentially down the road. Um, He was mulling retirement is Charleston Rambo out of Miami. Um, He's getting a lot of camp buzz right now. As a UDFA guy, he never really latched on at Oklahoma or at Miami as a true gangbuster, but um, he's got deep speed for days. Um, He's extremely explosive on those deep to deep intermediate routes that Robbie Anderson has kind of feasted on over the course of his career. And then there's a lot of question marks about Terrace Marshall if last year was what you should be expecting as an NFC uh, NFC South fan or if he's finally going to have the breakout that everyone was kind of anticipating because it's very seldom. Do you see a guy with the amount of consistent production at an sec school like Terrace Marshall flame out as bad as he did in his rookie season. Um, So there's a lot of potential on the team, but it's again, all back to the quarterback position. So I'm very intrigued by the NFC South overall. I think there's a lot of different ways that it could potentially go, Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. All right, so sorry for that mishap there, but we are back officially online recording again. (laughs) I don't know what happened there. Our audio cut out. Um, Just going on a little tangent about the Carolina Panthers there. But ultimately, this has been the NFC South division. Um, I think Aaron and I can both agree that there are a lot of question marks for a lot of teams. It's basically everyone against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If I'm not wrong, Aaron, I think that's where we're sitting right now. But um, there's a lot of hope for a lot of different teams for a lot of different reasons, a lot of shakeups for some teams that have been pretty consistent specifically at the quarterback position for the better part of a decade plus now um drew Brees is out cam newton's out matt ryan's out there's a lot of young blood to middle-aged blood i guess is what we'd classify this in this division right now but i really appreciate you coming on aaron it's been a great talk Uh, it's always fun getting people that are passionate about the teams that talk about them all the time like you so why don't you just go ahead and plug everything you're doing tell the people where they can find you on twitter your podcast anything you're writing up anything you got in the kitchen cooking up yeah of course if uh, they can find me on locked on falcons five days a week on your preferred podcast app as well as on youtube uh just talking falcons 
you know, 30 minutes each day. Um, at some point, I will write again for the Falcoholic, uh, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. I've basically been taking a break this offseason um, because anytime I, I think of, oh, I, I could write about this and then something happens that completely negates that. So I'll probably just wait till the, the season <laughs> starts before, uh, you know, I could start writing again with that. But you can check out my written content there probably a little bit later in the year. And that's basically uh, what I'm up to. Awesome. Well, as you guys heard, there's a lot going on down in the Dirty Bird Nation, uh, but it's been a great time. Uh, once again, this has been Aaron Freeman. You can find him on Twitter at FalcFans, and this has been a great episode. As always, on the DWZ's Rookie Rundown, we're just here to make the world a better place for Dynasty football. Until next week, have a good week. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. a game yesterday and if we win one today that's two in a row we win one tomorrow that's called a winning streak